Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm the chief flooring installer in the basement here at Redeemers. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, let's pray. Good Father, uh, thank you for the day. I uh, wish it would get warmer, but uh, I'm thankful anyway. And I'm thankful for your people. I admit I'm uh, feeling a little bit jumbled this morning, maybe that's appropriate because we're going to be looking at our identity and we have all kinds of voices in our lives telling us who we are, who we should be. Help me to quiet and calm my soul this morning uh, like a child at peace. Uh, help us to focus, help us to listen uh, to who you tell us you are. Pray that your voice would be clear. Uh, not only that you would show us more of who you are, but show us more of who we are. Uh, and pray that it would bring you more and more and more glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, we'll kind of be in Acts 15 this morning. But I wanted to start uh, by describing a situation I was in a few years ago. Maybe you've been in a similar situation, probably not. I was sitting in a yurt, and on this half uh, was a crew of Mongolians, led by a Buddhist monk. And on this half was a group of Kazakhs, uh, led by their local imam, their teacher of Islam. Thankfully, uh, they were speaking to each other in Mongolian, so I could kind of keep up. And thankfully, we were doing kind of this video tourism kind of thing in, in the region, so they were at least pretending that they liked each other, because they were on camera. <laughs> but it was really fascinating to see how strictly this half was Mongolian, and they were Buddhists. This half was Kazakh, they were Muslims. And there I'm sitting in a yurt in Mongolia saying, man, these guys would really love Jesus. And it struck me that it would never in a million years even occur to either of them that they could switch their religions. Like, it was inconceivable for them to even think, uh, a Mongolian Muslim? A Kazakh Buddhist? I mean, that's just, that's hilarious. Why, why would they ever do that? I mean, you might as well switch your eye colors. I mean, why? And it quickly goes from being funny to being treasonous. Uh, Kazakhs have died because someone tried to marry a Mongolian. The family won't put at, at best, they're excommunicated from the family. Switching sides is not okay. And I've wondered as I've come back uh, to the States, you know, to, to what degree are some of us stuck in our culture? Uh, to what degree are, are we able to have a genuine faith? Or, or do we just go along with our group? 
do we examine ourselves? How does, how does Jesus get through all of those layers, language and culture and other religions to show us more of who we are in God's image? How does he do that? Uh, I have a couple props this morning that some of you are going to help me with. But uh, I describe, we're going to have some fun with Venn diagrams. We are such nerds. <laughs> so I have three hoops here, culture, religion, and race. And in a tribal mentality, we're going to kind of be here, this middle group, you guys are going to be the tribal mentality. And in a tribal mentality, all of you are the same. You're all the same race, you're all the same religion, and you have the same culture. You're homogenous. And you, you protect that homogenous group to protect you from other tribal groups who are homogenous so that you don't switch, <laughs> you don't change. This is who you are, and you stay close to each other. And we're going to kind of play with that as we look at Acts 15 this morning. Uh, because the Jews, the Christian Jews in Acts 15, were facing some difficulties. Because what does it mean to be Jewish? It means a bunch of different things, which we separate now in our modern, diverse culture. But they did not. So to be Jewish meant that your parentage, your lineage, came from Abraham, from Isaac. That's who you are, and you know it because you're circumcised. Being Jewish also meant that you were a part of the nation of Israel. Being Jewish also meant that you followed and practiced the law of Moses. Now, it's bizarre, even in biblical times, because many Jews didn't live in Jewish culture. They lived in Greek culture. Or in modern times, half of Jewish people are atheists. So would you say they're Jews, but not Jewish? How do you describe that phenomenon? They're not practicing the law of Moses. So are they still Jews? It's this combination of things in Acts 15 that they're wrestling with. What does it mean to be Jews, Jewish? And what does it mean to be Christian? Can you be a Christian and not a Jew? So let's look at Acts 15. We're just going to read the first uh, six verses. We're not going to go into... They had a whole meeting and we're not going to go through all of their meeting minutes and go through all their arguments. We're just going to kind of wrestle with some of the things that they were wrestling with. Acts 15. But some men came down from Judea, right, from Jerusalem, and they were teaching the brothers, the new believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem. Uh-oh, the principal's office. To the apostles and the elders about this question. 
So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of all the Gentiles, and it brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And much of the rest of this chapter is this debate that they're having. Do we, what, do, what are we going to require of followers of Jesus? All right? It, you know, it's too late. <laughs> we tried to keep the gospel just to Jews, but we failed. It got out. <laughs> and now we're starting to have a lot of non-Jews who are following Jesus. The Holy Spirit won't let us just keep it to our tribal group. The Holy Spirit won't let us. Which is bizarre because God prepared us for a savior, right? God formed our family history. He formed our culture. He gave us very specific religious practices. He's been preparing us for thousands of years for a savior. So for a Jewish Christian, following Jesus was an extension of their Jewishness. This is what we've been waiting for for thousands of years. Jesus fulfills everything. Abraham, Isaac, Moses, David. Jesus fulfills all of who we are. Yes, others will be grafted in from the nations, but how? How? Should we require that they become Jewish first before becoming Christians? So I'm going to need a little help here because uh, we're going we're gonna to play with our Venn diagram. So I need a few volunteers from this section over here. We're going to create what I call, from a tribal mentality, we're going to create, I need three volunteers up here. There we go. We're going to play with our Venn diagram. One more. Anybody? It's, you, you stand here and hold a hoop. <laughs> All right. So you're just going to hold this. We're going to switch from a tribal mentality to what I call a communal mentality. So in a communal mentality, usually you are a minority group and you, religion and race kind of team up as a minority. And yes, you're partly in the culture. Okay, hold your hoop. See this? Your race and your religion are still pretty tribal. You keep that tight but you're in a culture that you can't control. You're a minority group, okay? So think of like the Hellenists. 
the Jews scattered around all the major cities of the ancient world, and they had a synagogue, or like a Chinatown. It's, yes, they are in this culture, maybe they've expanded their language, maybe they've expanded their business partners, but they still work very hard to maintain their racial identity and their religious practices. It makes them distinct in a dominant culture. Or the Amish. The Amish have uh, Swiss-German Mennonite backgrounds. Are there many German-Swiss people who have converted to Amish? Probably not very many. It's how they've maintained their identity by sticking together, by staying close. Hold that for just a minute there, guys. In this mentality, you don't trust the outside world, right? You don't want to compromise with the culture. Now, that's good and that's bad, <laughs> right? This can be abused in a lot of ways. This is where uh, extreme cults come from, right? Because they, they do something completely opposite from the culture in a way that they flaunt their difference. Uh, this can also be, uh, I would say, spiritual retreatism. We don't want to have any part of our culture anymore, so uh, we're going to stop going to this supermarket, we're going to stop using this company that communicates values we don't agree with, we're going to homeschool all of our kids. Those things aren't bad. <laughs> But there's a possibility of retreating from the culture so much that you're just trying to protect yourself and you're not engaging the world anymore. You're retreating from it. That's good and it can be bad. If you are afraid of your culture, that's bad. There are good things to it though and here I think of like... Uh, African-American faith in slavery. How did their faith identity help them survive in a dominant culture? Man, as a middle-class white guy who struggles with almost nothing, that is a faith that I need to learn from in my life. How did you survive? Like, I'm struggling, you know, managing my screen time. How did you survive in a dominant culture that abused and oppressed and demeaned you every single day? How did your faith continue to give you hope and strength? That's a faith that I need, that I need to learn from. Now, James, you guys can put him down now. That's good. In, in this discussion, James... Good job. You did great. James stands up in their discussion, and one of the things he says is, guys, for these new believers, we don't, we don't need to recreate this kind of communal identity. Right? They already have synagogues. Right? If they want to become Jewish, then they can go to the synagogue there. 
We don't have to make more synagogues. Now, James was much more tactful uh, than I would be. And I appreciate his answer, but I'm also disappointed by it because it's kind of a half answer. And I'm like, well, James, why, why didn't you be a, a little bit more clear in that Gentiles do not need to be circumcised because they do not need to be cleansed of their ethnicity before they can become Christians. You don't have to erase their culture or their race in order for them to follow Jesus. God created all tribes and nations and tongues at Babylon, at Babel. He made them that way. And all of that variety, when people from those other tribes and nations and tongues follow Jesus, adds to the glory of God. We don't want to wipe that away or cleanse them of it. We need that in the family of God. Then there's another mentality that they were struggling with, and I'm going to come over here to this section. I need three volunteers. Three volunteers. Thank you, sirs. Now, this mentality I'm going to call the traditional mentality. And in this mentality, we're going to, religion and culture are going to team up because they're not the minority, they're the majority in this culture. So they're going to say, look, it really doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is. You know, we welcome, we welcome everybody. We welcome uh, blacks, browns, whites. We welcome everybody as long as you act white. Right? We love everybody. As long as you follow our rules, you're welcome here. That's the traditional mentality. Because we have the majority, we get to dictate what our culture is like. And we don't want anybody to change that because that threatens we might someday lose our culture. So we have to rigorously maintain it with lots and lots of rules. So as long as you conform, right? As long as we can protect ourselves against change with conformity by making everybody act the same, you're welcome to be a part of our fellowship. So you're welcome to follow Jesus as long as you don't have any tattoos or play cards or dance, right? Because dancing leads to sex, cards leads to gambling. Those things have nothing to do with Jesus, but we have to protect our culture because there's dangerous things out there. So we're going to add rules and rules and rules and rules so that nothing changes and we can protect our kids. 
by making sure they behave. All religions, all religions use conformity to try and control culture, including Christianity. They have hierarchy. They have uh, a center, right? You can name the centers of almost every religion. Uh, the Pope lives in the Vatican. The Dalai Lama is kicked out of Tibet, but he lives as close to Tibet as possible. Uh, the Cobb uh, is this, every Muslim, when they set out their prayer mats, they point it towards the Cobb in Saudi Arabia, in Mecca. They all pray towards the center. Every religion uses conformity to try and control people. Right? Because how do you know, if you have a new believer, how do you know if their faith is genuine? Well, they have to learn and make sure we have to test and make sure they do all the right things. So you add rules and you add leadership to make sure that they're doing the right things. And once you've added all these things, still, how do you know if it's genuine or not? Yeah, somebody can follow all the rules. Does that make their faith genuine? They do what they're told when they're supposed to do it. Does that make their faith genuine? So Peter, thanks guys, you can put those down. Well done. Very nice. So Peter stands up in the meeting in verse 10, and he says, how can you test God by putting a yoke, a burden on their shoulders uh, requiring religious behavior? Why would you do that? These, these people are following Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, why would you load them down with religious rules? Again, I think this is kind of a half answer. Uh, my Uncle Bud once made a comment I'll never forget. He said, every culture has its Old Testament. And I don't know why Peter didn't say why would we require people to switch from one Old Testament to another? When none of the religions can save. So why would we... They have a moral code. They've had a religion that they've tried and failed at, that they couldn't live up to. Why would we require them to first switch to a moral code and a bunch of rules that we can't live up to? Why switch religions? It, it doesn't make any sense. Whether you're a good Muslim, a good Buddhist, a good Christian, there's no such thing because no religion can save. Only Jesus can save. Everything good and true in the world has been created by God the Father. And he has taken pains 
to hide truths about himself in every culture and in every religion. In order to prepare them for the gospel. In order to prepare them for the one who can save. Now the Jerusalem council was struggling to keep up. I don't know if they were unable to keep up with the Holy Spirit or if they were unwilling to keep up with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is kind of like Captain Jack Sparrow. It's just, you're never quite sure what he's going to do next. And yet the whole story just kind of, everybody just kind of follows him wherever he goes and good things happen. It's, you can't control the Holy Spirit. And the Jewish church, the Jerusalem church, says, you know what, we, we will not try to control the Holy Spirit. We will not require ethnic conversion. We will not pursue cultural control. You know, just, just do these few things and be free. Be free to follow Jesus and how the Spirit leads you. I mean, this is miraculous that a religion, that a religion could let go. Religions don't do that. Religions require conformity. I can't help but get this feeling, though, as proud as I am of the church in Jerusalem for letting go, I also kind of feel like they're giving up. Right, because it kind of feels like our modern diversity is sure, you know, we can't control you. So, you know, you just you do whatever you want, I'll do whatever I want, and let's just agree to leave each other alone. That's our diversity. That's America. You don't tell me what to do, I won't tell you what to do. And there's so much more for them to write in their letter to the churches about Jesus, to celebrate Jesus. And I think this is maybe what launches Paul to write so many letters, is, yeah, we, we let you go to follow the Spirit, but do you know who you are now in Jesus? And some things that I would want to say to the new believers about Jesus when it comes to race and culture and religion. Do you know now in Christ that you are a new creation? Right? We, we once regarded Christ in terms of the flesh, but we don't do that anymore, and I don't do that with you anymore. You are a new spiritual creation. Doesn't matter if you were Filipino or Irish or German or if you had a mortal tribal enemy. Uh, now you're born of the Spirit. Right? Now you are not just defined by your race and the color of your skin, you're defined by the color of your soul. You're born into a new family. This is kind of the adoption challenge 
which we've been wrestling with as parents of biological and adopted kids. You're kind of, you know, my adopted kids have a background. They have a birth family where they came from. And they're wrestling with, what does that say who I am? And what does this new adopted family say that I am? And how do I bring those two together? Because this says some things that are, are very hard. Where I come from was very hard. And I'm not sure what that says about me. And I'm not sure if I can accept these new things that are said about me because of where I come from. Do I belong here? Is it genuine? Everyone, everyone had an identity that was tied to superiority and inferiority, right? White privilege, cultural victim. We all came with these different identities and they gave us Paul. <laughs> Paul said, look, I had er as a Jew, I had everything. I was the best of the best when it comes to the Jewish world. And it's garbage. It's all garbage. It kept me from knowing who God was. It didn't help me. Whether it's your ethnic pride or your ethnic shame, is it keeping you? from receiving the life that Jesus has to offer you. Because now we're heirs. We're heirs with Christ at the right hand of the Father. We're a new soul family. And Jesus circumcises the heart. Jesus circumcises the heart and says, now you have a new reproductive purpose. <laughs> Right In the past, if you were circumcised as a Jew, you were dedicating yourself to reproduce more Jews, dedicated to the family of God. Being circumcised of heart means we are now dedicated to reproducing more spiritual souls in the image of the Father. We're still meant to reproduce. It's just now it's a circumcision of the heart. Your next brother and sister may be living on your street. There is a lost soul on your street or in your, in your workplace. They could be a spiritual brother or sister if you can find them with the gospel. Jesus also says, you know what? You all came from a certain culture. I'm offering you a new kind of kingdom. It's, it's an upside-down kind of kingdom. I don't know where my hula hoops were, but I got I to gotta grab this culture. You came from a culture, and it was probably twisted and broken because it's human. I'm going to give you a new kingdom, and it's going to look a lot like an upside-down version of your culture. Because in your culture... You were trained to fight for your thing, right? Whatever your thing is that you think is most important in your culture. You're trained to fight for it, to try and make that, uh, protect it, you know, protect your right 
to do that or to even try and make your thing the dominant thing so that everybody else has to do that too. Jesus says it doesn't matter if you were a hippie or a lumberjack, uh, a CEO, uh, a libertarian or a communist. It doesn't matter. <laughs> if, you're, if Jesus calls you to follow him, you receive a new upside-down culture where you don't use religion as a way to try and enforce your way of doing things. Instead, you become a humble servant. Instead, you win by giving. When I pray for public issues, uh, I don't pray for victory or conformity. I pray for more Republicans and Democrats to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd even love it if the Father threw in a few spirit-filled libertarians and communists. Communists make great followers of Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who wins, it matters who gives. Jesus flips it upside down. He gives you a new kingdom. To sacrifice is joyful in his kingdom. Jesus also brings a new religion. I hate to call it religion because, you know, in our culture, religion and authority are bad words. Religions are noble attempts to try and point towards God. They are, but they all fail, and they're all inflexible, and most of them are abusive. It doesn't matter if you grew up Muslim or Buddhist, atheist, or even Christian. Uh, religious ladders can't reach God. They're not tall enough to reach God. Everyone had a scripture. Everyone had a moral code. Everybody had some kind of religious professional in their life to tell them what the best thing to pursue was or to make sure they were following the rules the only way to know the Father is if He comes down and tells us who He is. That's the only way to know God. We can all stand here and point to God, but the only way to know Him is if He comes down and shows Himself to us. And that's Jesus. In our gospel, Jesus comes to us and He says, I can. I can. Fulfill your scriptural truth. I can perform every moral code that you've ever been given. I can lead with passion and authority without becoming abusive. I can pay for every spiritual failure on the face of the planet. I can, if you follow me. No more religious ladders to God because he came to us first. And he says, my life for yours. Let's switch. You take your background, you take all your religious rules, you take your cultural values, whatever you feel like you have to fight for, and we switch. 
wherever you come from, however dark and painful, it's good because you, it brought you here to Jesus. And he gives you new life. He gives you new identity. Give me your culture. Give me your religion. Give me your parentage. And I'll give you mine. You can walk with my father. You can know his grace. I want to invite the worship team back up. The communion tables are open as we worship the Father and as we reflect on who Jesus is and what he offers us. As we reflect on our identities, not just who we are, but how are we going to start living this new life that he gives us in the world.